On Friday morning, I was here in the room just walking around with a team of people. We were praying over this service, over this time. And as I was praying, I felt uh, a very strong impulse that the Lord was saying, cut out your entire introduction. I had this whole intro. I don't know if you know how a sermon works, but you start with an intro, wet people's appetite, get them ready to receive the word of God. And the Lord said, forget it. Just get right into my word. So I'm going to try to be obedient. We're going to get right into his word. Exodus chapter 6. Go ahead and open up your Bibles right now. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 6, second book of the Bible in the Old Testament. you got Genesis, then Exodus. For those of you who are guests, maybe listening in for the first time, we are going through the book of Exodus with a, a painstakingly slow accuracy, chapter by chapter, looking at everything that took place in one of the most formative books of the Bible that really set foundation for the rest of the Bible. Now, the way it works is it's a story, so it builds on itself. So you've got to know what happened last week before we jump into chapter 6. So chapter 5, some really incredible things happen. Moses finally gets the gumption to go before Pharaoh and ask what he's supposed to ask, to let the people of Israel go out of Egypt to go worship their God. He'd been wrestling with God over and over. I'm not adequate to do this. I don't have the power to do this. I'm not a man of speech. And God gives him enough miracle, miraculous powers. He gives him Aaron to speak on his behalf till finally Moses says, I'll do it. And then he goes before Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let, let us go out to worship our Lord and we'll be back. And he goes terribly poorly. Pharaoh says, absolutely not. I don't know this God. I could care less about him. I'm not letting you go. In fact, I'm going to make you work even harder. The reason you're asking is because you're lazy. And so he says, I want you to make the same quota of bricks, but I'm not going to give you straw anymore. You're going to have to go get that for yourselves. And so he's utterly rejected by Pharaoh. And then what's worse, the Israelites are ticked off at him at this point because now they got to work even harder. They're already oppressed. Now they're more oppressed. And they're looking at Moses going, Moses, this is your fault. We were just fine before you came along. So now they're, they're attacking Moses. And here's Moses trying to obey, trying to do what's right. And he is rejected and attacked and he does what every single one of us would do. Looks up to heaven and says, God, why? Why in the world would you let this happen? And chapter 6 is the answer to that question. Now, you can't really see the answer until you specifically read the questions. There are two why questions at the end of chapter 5. So we're going to go back to chapter 5, read the last two verses that are going to set up our jump into chapter 6. So chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say this. It says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Okay, I want to I be uh, real clear here. That's some bodacious words Moses just said to the king of the universe. He's, he is attacking the character of Almighty God. He says, why have you done this evil to your people? He's blaming God for all the evil that's taken place. Why'd you even send me, God? Because since this whole thing happened, you haven't done jack squat to help out your people. I mean, he's attacking Almighty God. Now, I, I want to say this. If I were God at this point, I would be doing what the Latinos call papau. He needs to be smote at this point because he is, he is just attacking the God who's done nothing but good to him. Think about the story. For those of you who've been tracking along with this, think about all that Yahweh God has done for Moses. Moses got a destinance on his life because the Pharaoh wants to kill all the baby boys born. And God is the one who protected him when he was put in that little basket, that little ark in the Nile River. God was the one who allowed Pharaoh's daughter to bring him in and adopt him. And he grew up in the lap of luxury, best schools, finest of foods, best of everything. God gave him all that stuff. 
And then after he ran away, he's wandering around in the land of Midian for 40 years in total obscurity. It was God who came to him in the burning bush. It was God who gave him miraculous power. It was God who called him to this beautiful assignment. God had been nothing but good to him. And now he turns around to the first problem and says, why are you so evil, God? I mean, he deserves to be smote. I probably would have. But you notice God doesn't. Because God knows from time to time his children have questions. And I want to suggest to you today that one of the biggest questions that anybody has, Christian or non-Christian, anybody who believes there is a God, is the question why. God, why would you let this happen? Some of you, your story is a lot like Moses's. There are literally some of you in this room right now who, just like Moses, have been obedient to do what God has called you to do, and it did not go well for you. Some of you in this room, or maybe you're watching online, you, you went to the mission field to be faithful to God, and, and it, it was a colossal failure. You had to come home feeling dejected and broken, and you're going, God, why? Some of you, you were faithful in giving in a time when it was hard, and you said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give financially to help the church or to help this, this church plan or whatever, and right now you're in a hole, and you're going, God, why? Why didn't you provide for me? Some of you have decided to try to obey the voice of God, to be faithful, to forgive somebody, and then you got hurt, and you're going, God, why? When I'm faithful to you, God, why would you treat me this way? Or maybe it's a little different of a why question. Maybe some of you are, are really asking, God, why would you let me suffer when you love me? I mean, you say you love me, God. But why, why, why didn't you heal? I've been praying, God, why haven't you healed me? Or why haven't you healed my child? I've been asking you and you're not doing anything, God, why? God, when I had that moment, you could have protected me and you didn't, God, Why? God, why did you let my marriage fail? God, why weren't you there for me? There are so many of us, and we have questions. If we could just get along with God for a little bit and be as brazen as Moses, we would say, God, why? Explain yourself, God. Why? Listen, I know God knows we have these questions. And we could tuck them away, put on a little mask, act like everything's just fine. No, no, how are you doing? I'm doing great when inside we're dying and we just desperately want to know why. That was Moses. I'm faithful, God, why? Why is this going so terribly wrong? Tell me, God, why? And what you're about to hear in chapter six is God's answer. And what you're gonna discover is that there's one thing very conspicuously absent and it's any answer to his question, why? Because the truth is he didn't didn't need to know why. He needed to know who. He didn't need to know why. He needed to know who. And that's what I want to tell you. In fact, I put this on the screen because I want you to write this down. You need to know this. You don't need to know why. You have all these questions in your life, all these things you want to know. You don't need to know why. You need to know who. You need to know God. You You need to know the one behind it all. Because I promise you, you can have every answer you've ever asked, and it will never be enough. But when you meet God, you discover you have everything you need. You don't need to know why. You need to know who. Moses thought he needed to know why. That's why he said, why have you done this evil? Why did you send me? But God says to him, you don't need to know why. You need to know me. I'm about to tell you who I am. That's what chapter 6 is. So let's keep on reading in the passage of Scripture. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to what he says. It says, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Now, I want to pause just right there on the first verse. I want to hear what he says. He says, Moses, 
Now you're about to see what I'm going to do. Here's basically what he's saying. Oh, you want to know why, Moses? Well, you better buckle up, buttercup, because I'm about to show you who I am. I'm about to show you what I can do. So you better get ready for it. Never once does he say, I'm going to show you why I've done what I've done. He says, I'm going to show you who I am, what I can do. Verses 2 through 5 begin to show us who God is. He doesn't need to know why. He needs to know who. And here you see it in verse 2. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now stop there just for a moment, because I want to I tell you what's going on here. There's, there's something that God is trying to do for Moses, and it all pertains to the name. Now you learned this a number of weeks ago, as Pastor Gary was sharing with us, the, the idea of the word Lord, the name of God, Yahweh. So if you read verse 2, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And you see the word Lord in capital letters, L-O-R-D. Anytime you see the capital word Lord, all letters capitalized, it's because they're trying not to misuse the name Yahweh, but it's the personal name of God. If you see a capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, it's something else. It's a different root word. But anytime you see them all caps, that is Yahweh. So he is right now saying in Hebrew, if you were to read it, I am Yahweh. He's trying to remind him of what his name means back in chapter 3. The name Yahweh, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. The God who exists from the, from the Hebrew root word chayah, meaning to be. The one who was and is and always will be. He said, I'm revealing myself to you by my personal name. And then he says something intriguing. He says, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob knew me as God Almighty. The Hebrew word there is El Shaddai. Some of you have heard that name before. But he says, but, by, but my name, Yahweh, I did not, did not make myself known to them. Now the word El, when you see El Shaddai, is the generic word for God. It's, it's a word that would, if the Canaanites' gods were called El. The Philistine gods were El. The Jebusite gods were El. This was just a generic term. It's like if you were to say God, you could be speaking of uh, the, the, the God of Islam, the God of Buddhism, the God of Judaism, the God of Christianity. I mean, it's any kind of God. That's the generic name. That's what El is. And he's basically saying, I revealed to them by the generic name El Shaddai. They knew me that way. But he says, but by my personal name, I did not make myself known to them. Now, there's one huge issue with this. If you are a student of the Word of God, then you're, you're going to notice what's, what appears to be a discrepancy. Because you'll go back to Genesis chapter 14, verse 22, and you'll hear Abraham say, I have lifted my hand to Yahweh. So he uses the personal name of God all the way back in the book of Genesis. And yet here in Exodus chapter 6, he says, I did not make myself known to them by my personal name except by El Shaddai. And so it sounds like either there's an error in the Bible or is God lying here? I mean, what's going on? I want you to know there are people who try to use things like this to discredit what the Bible says and the accuracy of the Bible. There's a very simple explanation for it. The terminology in the Bible is very important. He says, I did not make myself known to them by the name Yahweh. It's not that they didn't know the name Yahweh, but they didn't know what the name Yahweh meant. They, he didn't make himself, he didn't reveal himself by that name. Because the name Yahweh meant the, the God who was above everything, the God who existed before and will always exist beyond everything else. In other words, the name Yahweh is about his action, the supreme commander of the universe. Which is why, as you keep reading, 
you realize, as God says, Moses, I'm gonna reveal to you my name and I'm gonna do it by showing you how much stronger I am than the supreme commander of this earth, Pharaoh. You're gonna see how my name, Yahweh, ties together with what I can do. And that's what verses six through eight does. So keep on reading. See how God reveals who he really is. Verse six. And by the way, every time you hear the word Lord with capital letters, I'm gonna go ahead and use the actual Hebrew word, Yahweh. It says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. You can hear the drumbeat of it. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Three verses, three times, he says, and every time he couples it with an action. If you go back to verse six, he says, I am Yahweh. I will rescue you from your slavery. I will redeem you from your position of being held captive by the Egyptians. So he says, I am Yahweh who redeems. You go on to verse seven. He keeps on moving to a bit more of his description. He says, I am Yahweh. I will make you my people and I will be your God. I will form you into my people and you will know me. And then in verse eight, he says it again, I am Yahweh, but he says, I will give you the land to possess. I will bless you. And in these three verses, you learn the full character of Almighty God. I want you to write this down. This is incredibly important. Yahweh is a God who redeems, who adopts, and who blesses. Here's the reason I want you to write this down. The entire storyline of the Bible is just a demonstration that this is who Yahweh is. Yahweh is the God who redeems, the God who adopts, and the God who blesses. I want to prove it to you by going to the beginning and the end. Go to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And you have this beautiful garden, and they're just in it, and then all of a sudden the serpent comes in, Adam and Eve sin, and they get kicked out of the garden. And they're now enslaved to brokenness and rebellion against Almighty God. And God puts this little bitty prophecy in chapter 3 where he says... Now, one day the seed of woman is going to come and it's going to crush the head of the serpent. In other words, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to rescue you from your brokenness. I'm going to save you through a, one, a, a person who will come from a woman. And the whole storyline from there is God continuing to rescue and redeem his people from all kinds of brokenness, from slavery in Egypt all the way to slavery to the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Romans to slavery to sin and brokenness, redeeming again and again and again. Why? so that he could adopt them into his family. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of his son, Jesus Christ, that cries out, Abba, Father, and we know we're adopted children of God. He has been working to bring us into his family so we could truly be his people and he could be our God. Why? So he could bless us beyond our wildest dreams, to give us a promised inheritance that is not just temporary on this earth, but for all eternity. Begins in the book of Genesis, ends in the book of Revelation. I want you to turn with me, if you can, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. I want to read for you the, the second to last chapter, the first four verses, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Listen to how the story ends. The Apostle John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is how the storyline ends. The whole book of the Bible, all, all 66 of them, is God redeeming and rescuing us from our brokenness and our slavery and our inadequacy. Why? So that he could bring down a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and make us his own people. He would be our light. He would be our joy. So that at the very end, we have a promised inheritance where there's no more pain or suffering or brokenness or death. Nothing but beauty and perfection. And God is doing all this. Why? Because he is a God who redeems, a God who adopts, and a God who blesses. It is who he is. And let me tell you, you don't need to know why. You need to know who. And your God is a God who will redeem you, a God who will adopt you, and a God who will bless you. Moses finally understood in this moment who Yahweh was. He had all these why questions. And there's this incredible thing that happens. The moment God tells him who he is, Moses doesn't need a single answer to his questions. He walks in obedience after this, and he says, I'll do what you say, God, because he found out who, not why. Let me tell you why that matters. There are some of you right now in this room, some of you watching this online, and I guarantee you are struggling with God right now. There are some of you, and you feel, if you were being honest, bitter toward God, at least frustrated with God. Some of you are angry. Some of you feel like, I don't even know if I can trust God. Because you're asking the question, if God really loved me, then why would he let all this stuff happen to me? If God really was all powerful, then why wouldn't he solve my problem? Seems very simple to me. God, why aren't you doing this? And you're letting all your why questions keep you from God. But here's what God knows that maybe you're struggling to know. You could have every single one of your questions answered and it still will not be enough. But when you meet Almighty God, you will walk away utterly satisfied. You don't need to know why, you need to know God. Moses, he discovered God, and that's when he walked away saying, I'm ready, I'm ready to obey you. God wants to be known by you. The best news you will ever hear is that the king of the universe wants a relationship with you. Little old you, this one little planet in this massive universe, he wants to know, he knows you by name, he knows the number of hairs on your head, and he has moved heaven and earth to have you. In fact, the reason you're here, the reason you're listening is because God has orchestrated you to be here because he wants you, because he loves you. He's pursuing you. What kind of God is like that in the universe? Only one who would redeem us and adopt us and bless us. Good news is he wants us to have a relationship with him, the only thing that can satisfy us. But the bad news is, as much as he wants it, we can still screw it up. There are two main ways you and I push the God away that we most desperately need, with a crushed spirit and with a prideful heart. Those are the two ways that we most push God away. It's exactly what you see in the passage of scriptures we keep on reading. So here you have Moses. He's emboldened now. He knows who his God is, so he decides he's going to obey. He goes to the people to tell them the good news. After this first failure, after his people have been attacking him, Pharaoh's rejected him, he comes back with courage going, it's all right, guys. God spoke to me. Listen to me. Look what happens in verse 9. Going back to the Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. 
because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. It says that he's encouraged, goes back, tells them the good news, and they shut him out entirely. Well, we don't want to hear a word of it, Moses. They refuse to listen. Why? Because their spirits were broken. Because of the afflictions they were dealing with. Their circumstances were so bad, they just couldn't bring themselves to trust in this kind of God. Let me tell you, there are some of you in this room. There are some of you watching. And that's exactly how you feel. You are so crushed in spirit right now, it is hard for you to trust in God. You want to, you believe there's a God. You grew up hearing about this God. You want to trust him, but you're just struggling because it doesn't feel like a good God would do this kind of thing. It just doesn't feel like God cares about you and loves you. You've been through too much. And you are so crushed in spirit, you cannot come to the place where you want to go to him. You're too angry with him. You're too bitter. You just can't come to trust him right now. And right now you are thinking that in arrogance you can approach God and make him answer you. God, I'll trust you when you tell me why you let this happen to me. God, I, I, I might come to you when you tell me why you would drag me through the bottom of the ocean this way. You say you cause all things to work together for good. I don't see much good right now, God. You have to show me why. So our broken spirit can keep us forearming, forearms out, stiff-arming God in front of us, saying, God, we don't, we, don't, we don't know if we want you right now. We don't know if we trust you. It's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They stiff-armed God because of their broken spirit. You may think you need answers, but let me come back to what I said before. You don't need to know why. You need to know God. Because when you meet with God, all of a sudden you discover everything makes sense. There was a man named Job. I don't know if you know his story in the Bible. A really remarkable man. Most of you know Job chapters 1 and 2. It's the, the famous story of the guy who loses everything. He loses all his possessions. A building collapses on his children, loses all his children loses all his health, gets to the point where his own wife says, can't you see how miserable you are? Curse God and die. And Job steps up and says, listen, can, am I, I going to take the good and not the bad from the Lord? No, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you hear that and you go, oh, Job, man, you're amazing. And we stop at chapter two and we never make it to chapter three. But in chapter three, Job jumps off a cliff. He's a totally different guy. The whole time he said, I wish I was never even born. He starts off by saying, I, I, I want to question Almighty God. How in the world is he letting me suffer? And for chapter after chapter after chapter, Job says two things. He says, God, I know you're all powerful. I know you're all knowing. But the second thing he says is, God, you aren't fair at all. Where's your justice? I look around the world and I see evil people prospering. I look at me and I see good people suffering. And it doesn't make any sense, God. Why? Job has chapter after chapter of why questions to God. Why would you let this evil happen, God? When you're all-knowing, when you're all-powerful, why, why, why? He gets to the end of his discourse where he comes before God so arrogantly. He says, I want to approach God like a prince. I want to write my, my indictment upon him on paper and present it to him in a courtroom. He's angry. He wants to know why. And toward the end of the book of Job, God answers him. Four chapters of God speaking to Job. It's the longest straight discourse we have of, of God speaking at one time in the entire Bible. And he comes upon him, and he says to Job, I am all-powerful, I am all-knowing. But guess what is conspicuously missing from God's answer? He never once answers why. He never once explains himself, never once tells Job why this all happens, doesn't give him a lick of answer to every question. He only reiterates what Job has already declared he knows to be true. And you would expect Job to be angry. 
to go, well, forget you, God. I asked you why, and you're going off to the same thing I said. You would expect him to run away from God. But I want you to listen to his response. I'm going to read it for you. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but the book of Job, chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, after Job has heard God not answer a single question of his, listen to what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He says, I knew all about you, had heard all about you, but now I've seen you, God. Now I've been with you, and I realize how wrong I was to accuse you, God. He's saying, I don't need answers. I don't need to know why. I just needed you, and now I have you, God, and I have enough. I repent. Forgive me because you've given me what I want. So Job didn't need to know why. Moses didn't need to know why. You don't need to know why. If you're here and you're feeling broken in spirit, overwhelmed with all your why questions, don't let them keep you from running to God. Run to God, and you're going to find you have everything you absolutely need in him. You don't need to know why. You need to know God. Don't let your broken spirit keep you from him. But let me also say, don't let your prideful heart keep you from him. Because pride can keep you away from him just as much. It's exactly what you see happen in Pharaoh's. We end the passage this morning. I want you to see how Moses indicates his inability to go to Pharaoh because he knows how prideful Pharaoh would be. Back in Exodus 6, verses 10 through 13, let me finish up. It says, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So Moses says, God, come on now. My own people, your people have rejected me. I know who Pharaoh is. He's already rejected me back in chapter 5 when I went before him with miraculous signs and all that. He's so arrogant. Why do you think he's going to accept what I have to say? And you want to know what? Moses was absolutely right. Pharaoh was way too arrogant. You keep on reading. We're going to keep on going. You're going to see plague after plague after plague come upon Pharaoh, and Pharaoh still refused to release the people. He was so arrogant, he thought he could go toe-to-toe with Almighty God. You see, Pharaoh thought he was God. The pharaohs in Egypt all thought they were divine. They thought they were God, and he didn't have any space for this other God to come creeping in on his territory. So he decided to say, I don't need to pay attention to this God. I'm bigger than he is. That's what you call pride. I want you to know, here's, here's what can go on in your heart and mind too. Pride can creep in to the point where you think you can go toe-to-toe with Almighty God because pride puts you out of your right mind. Pride makes you come before Almighty God and say, you're going to have to prove up why. Why should I serve you? It's why questions. They're just a different kind of why questions. Oh, you want me to go to church, huh? Why should I do that, God? You want me to give money, my money, my hard-earned money? Why would I do that? You want me to serve? You want me to go on a mission trip? You, you want me to be a part of a community? Why would I want to do that, God? You better prove it up. Why? You want me to get baptized? Nah. You're going to you're gonna have to show me why. There's an arrogant spirit that says, I'm going to make demands of Almighty God and make him prove to me why I should do what I do. I want you to know, pride will make you just as much an enemy of God as Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was an enemy of God because he thought he could go against him. But let me tell you what was going on with Pharaoh. The same thing that's going on in your heart, too. Pride is really just fear that we're trying to control. That's all pride is. It's the exact same broken spirit, but we think we can control it. I mean, think about Pharaoh. If you remember the story back in chapter 1, 
The whole reason he's going against God and he's oppressing the people is because he's scared of them. They've multiplied so much, he thinks they might rise up against him. So he oppresses them and fights against their God because he's afraid and he's trying to control it. And it's the exact same thing in your life. When pride wells up, ultimately it's because you're afraid and you're trying to control it. There are circumstances in your life and you got your arm crossed and you're saying, I can handle this on my own. And inside you're scared to death, but your pride is making you think you can control it. And the whole time God is lovingly saying to you, I'm the only one who can help you. I'm the only one who can pull you out of this. Uncross your arms, bow yourself down, come before me humbly and watch what I can do. And your pride that you have right now that keeps you with arms folded will make you refuse the help of God until he does it on your terms. It'll make you refuse to pray because you think you can handle it. And you need to humble yourself. And you need to take your need before Almighty God. There's only one thing in this world that will allow you to have the power to overcome your broken spirit and your prideful heart. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every story in the Bible points ultimately to how the gospel is our solution, and this is no different. You want to know what will overcome your prideful heart? It is remembering the story of the gospel that says you and I are so inadequate, so broken, so incapable of obeying God that he had to bring in a pinch hitter to come in and said, Jesus, they can't obey me. You need to go in there and obey on their behalf. They're not going to do it, so go live the sinless life. They could go obey me because they can't do it. And then Jesus, they have so wrecked themselves and incurred my wrath, I want you to go die on a cross to absorb all my wrath so they can be freed because they're not going to be able to handle it on their own. The gospel says you and I are so screwed up, so overwhelmed that he had to do everything for us. We couldn't handle it. Listen, when you know the gospel, there's no no, no way you're ever going to make demands of God. Like, well, you better prove up to me why I should serve you. When you know the gospel, you bow down and say, oh, God, how could you love a person like me? How could you pursue somebody like me? It breaks down every lick of your pride. But the beautiful message of the gospel is it restores every vestige of brokenness inside of you. Because it says the the God, the king of the universe, did love you and did pursue you. He loved you so much, he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He saw you in your need. He knew in your brokenness and he said, I choose you. I want you. I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. And when you know what he's done for you, then you don't have to be broken any longer because you can really believe what the book of Romans says in chapter 8 that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You believe it because you know a God who, who pursues you, who gives up so much for you, can only love you. And it pulls you out of your brokenness and your insecurity. And what the gospel does is it makes you run after God over and over and over again. And that's what I, I want to challenge you to do this morning. I want to challenge you to run to God. Listen, I know there are some of you here and you have a lot of questions. Why God? Why God? Why God? Listen, I want you to know God can handle your questions. Just make sure those questions aren't an act of rebellion. Listen, I'm a parent. There are many of you in here who are parents There are some of you who have young kids. There are some of you who have teenagers or maybe adult kids. You notice a shift in parenting about why questions. And you got little kids and you're putting them to bed and they may go, hey, why do my fingernails never stop growing, daddy? Why are my eyeballs round, daddy? Like they're asking why questions because they're curious. 
That's, that's one thing. God, God can handle our why questions of curiosity, and he'll point us right back to his word, and he'll teach us. But then you start having teenagers, and the why questions change. I want you to go clean your room. Why? Because I said so. That's why. You know, every parent, we, we know we don't want to say because I said so, but we end up saying it. But there's a reason why we say because I said so. What that means is because I'm your daddy or I'm your mommy and I've proven how much I love you. I mean, don't, don't ever forget, you, you know, those clothes you're wearing on your back. Guess who provided those for you? Me, because I love you. That food you just ate. Guess who put that on the table? Me, because I love you. That soft little bed you're sleeping in. Guess who gave it to you? Me, because I love you. Look at your life. Look at all I've done for you, child. Look how much I love you. I've proven I love you. Would you just trust me? You see, when it's a why question of rebellion, it breaks a parent's heart. It's no different with God. When we cross our arms and we say before God, why? Why have you done this? Why are you not there for me, God? Why, why, why? And it's a question of rebellion. It breaks God's heart. Because he's saying, would you just look at what I've done for you? Look, look back over your life. Look at all the times I've loved you. Look at how many times I've pursued you and saved you and protected you. Look at the gospel and how I gave my son for you. Can't you see? I believe there are some of you who are here today. And you may need to repent and say, God, I've been, I've been angry with you. I've been frustrated with you. I've been resentful. I've been far from you, distant. And I need to repent. I want you to know there's, in a moment, we're, we're going to have a, chime, a time for you to respond. And I believe there's one of three ways that you're going to need to respond. I believe there are some of you right now, and you are crushed in spirit. Your circumstances are overwhelming, just like the Israelites because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They just couldn't come to trust in this God. And maybe you're feeling that way. And we're going to have a time where you can be prayed over and you, you don't even want to come down because you don't know what it's going to accomplish. You're so broken in spirit. You're so tired of going before God and not seeing anything happen. And you're just growing more and more distant. But this morning, you need to say, I'm not going to let my crushed spirit keep me from trusting in my God. I don't need to know why. I need to know God. And I'm going to invite you to come present your need before one of the pastors or maybe even just to bow down and pray to present your need before God as a sign of you saying, I'm going to trust anyway because I know my God is good. But I also believe there are some of you and you have great need, but you're not even willing to admit it to yourself or anybody else. You've got your arms crossed because you have a prideful heart and you're saying, now this isn't important enough for me to go down and bother one of the pastors or even bother God. I can handle this. I got this. And it's pride. It's going to keep you from coming to the God who can solve your problem. And he's going to look up saying, how long are you going to be distant from me? When will you uncross your arms, humble yourself, and come down and present your need to me? Some of you may need to humble yourselves and come and say, pray for me. Some of you may need to humble yourselves and actually get down on your face before God and say, God, I humble myself and I trust you. I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a moment, but there's the last group. It's one I've been praying the most about. I believe there are some of you right now and you've let your why questions keep you from entering into a relationship with Almighty God. You've kept your distance from God. You've been around the things of God. Maybe you're, you're, you're willing to watch a service online. You're maybe to come in here. You're gonna kind of keep your space, kind of slip in, slip out. You're checking things out. You've been through a lot and you're saying to yourself, no, I'll trust in God when 
this and this and this happen, when he explains why this happened, when he fixes this, when all this goes right, then I'll trust in him. And God is saying to you, no, that's not how it works. You trust in me first, and then you see my power. You trust in me first, and then everything makes sense. You come before me, give your life to me, enter into relationship with me, and then you'll discover you have everything you need. You don't need to know why. You need to know me. I believe there's going to come a moment when every single one of us is going to stand before Almighty God. And we're going to be able to tell him why. Tell him why we believe in him, why we get to be with him. And there's some of you who are going to go up to, to, to Almighty God in his presence and you're going to find out some terrible news. You're going to find out what Matthew chapter 7 says. It says there are some people who came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord. And he says, get away from me. And they're saying, but what are we talking about? We, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. He's going to say, maybe, but I never knew you. Depart from me. One of the things that scares me the most is there may be some of you who are here, a part of this church, part of any church, for decades. And you're going to before Almighty God and say, no, but I was a part of Fielder Church for 25 years, God. And I sat in the same seat every Sunday. I was, I was there. I served in the nursery. I gave money. I gave tens of thousands of dollars over my life to the church to expand the cause of Christ. I went on four mission trips, God. I was a part of the prayer gatherings on Wednesday nights. God, I did all this stuff. And he's going, maybe. But I never knew you. Depart from me. What he's saying is that what matters isn't how much you know about God, how much you do for God. It's that you know God. That you're in a relationship with God. And I just wonder if there aren't some of you in here who for whatever reason have never been bold enough to say, I'm ready to enter into a relationship with you. He tells us how. Is you have to recognize your sin or you repent of it. Forgive me for my sin, Jesus. I believe I can be forgiven. I give my life to you, Jesus. And in that moment, you die. And a brand new you is resurrected. And it's a brand new you that has the spirit of Christ inside of you. And you now begin a relationship with God. I believe some of you need to take that step of faith this morning. You don't need answers before you take that step of faith. You don't need God to resolve anything. You need to trust him. We're going to have pastors who are down front ready to meet with you. We have a baptistry on stage that I believe needs to be stirred this morning with people who are ready to say, I want the old me to die, be buried. I want to be raised up with faith in Christ, knowing God. We have shirts you can change into. We have counselors who will meet with you, shorts you can put on. We have everything ready for you. All that's missing is you taking a step of faith. So if you need to do that, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to invite you all to stand up right now, if you will. The pastors, come on forward. Ready to pray over you. Any one of these three things. If you need to humble yourself because you have a prideful heart, receive prayer, you come. If you're broken in spirit and you need to exercise faith and come, we'll pray for you, whatever situation you have. Or if you're ready to place your faith in Jesus Christ and get baptized, we want to meet with you and know it. I believe God wants to move. We want to move with you. So you come down. We'll pray with you.